Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. He's gone. Uh, Mitch McConnell, Freeze Senator Freeze Frame, announcing yesterday that he is going to step down as Senate Minority Leader, uh, hopefully Majority Leader after November's election. Uh, that would be after the election in November. He's going to do that. But he is going to stay on and yeah. finish out his term, which runs through 26. Uh, wonderful. The uh, end of Mitch McConnell, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Of course, now the question and concern is not just the performance this fall, but also who would replace Mitch McConnell because this is where you have an opportunity to maybe make a move in the direction of a, of a Rick Scott, maybe even somebody uh, like a Rand Paul. Or you could uh, put in the next empty suit, which would be your boyfriend, John Thune. Yeah, I know. Who do we want? 312-642-5600. Or you could text us. The text line is up and running this morning. It's going to be busy today. 64636. Type in DA, then a good com- then a quick comment. What about Jody Ernst? No? No. No. Um I mean, it's just that that's, I don't think she's going to be in play and I don't think she should be in play. So but, but, you know, but sort of you understand what the dynamic is going to be. It's going to be somebody that either represents the uh, conservative reform element in the Senate Republican caucus and uh, or, or somebody who can sort of middle the two universes between the surrender Republicans who vote for things like backdoor Green New Deals and surrender on the border and those like Mike Lee or Rand Paul or Ron Johnson who are actually not just putting together conservative reform voting records, but actually pressing issues with the power they have to get to the truth of government misconduct at our expense, whether it's the origins of COVID uh, or uh, the Russian collusion hoaxes and the bad actors and bad actions of the deep state. I mean, you know, that that that's it's an interesting caucus. And so, you know, it's going to be important to to uh, determine which direction that caucus is going to go, particularly if it's in the majority, particularly if it's in the majority with President Trump and a House majority, too. Will the Senate be a stumbling block that the way that uh, uh, to some extent, it was in Trump's first two years, uh, just as, well, frankly, the House was in his first two years. But so that's that's part of it. And the one thing, too, is, you know, Mitch, Mitch McConnell, I wish he'd leave now because uh, 
you know, don't want him to run through another series oh, of bad elections. The the only thing I'd say to that, because we were having this conversation yesterday when the news came across the transom, is that Steve Daines, who's the National Republican Senate Campaign Committee point person this go around, has actually done a pretty good job of candidate recruitment. And, um, I, you know, I think there's real opportunities for Republican pickups. And I'm not just talking about Joe Manchin's seat in West Virginia, although that certainly will be one with Jim Justice. So, I mean... Yeah, I, I I want McConnell to go as fast as humanly possible. But do I think that his sort of titular presence between now and November will derail the prospect of a Senate Republican takeover? No, I don't. I do have to say something, though, about this Wall Street Journal editorial. Boy, you know, I you have to give credit where credit's due as much as you have to also deliver criticism where that is appropriate. So I I do give credit for Mitch McConnell to Mitch McConnell for blocking Merrick Garland from being elevated to the Supreme Court for moving Trump's uh, Supreme Court nominees through the process as he did during Trump's presidency. But I mean, this is a bit of a reach. The Wall Street Journal uh, opining that um, Basically, Trump wouldn't have been elected president without Mitch McConnell. No, no, no. That, that's a, a bit of a stretch. The a leader's refusal to allow a confirmation vote to replace Scalia on the Supreme Court ahead of the 2016 election was a political gamble for the ages that took steely nerves and credibility with the, his GOP colleagues. I, I, you know, doing the obvious right thing takes steely nerves in D.C. I, I, I just think there's way too much credit given to doing the obvious right thing consistent with who you say you are, why you say you're there, what you're going to do. If I do anything that resembles any of that, I'm some sort of, you know, a mythological figure uh, to listen to the Wall Street Journal opine on this. It's just... But but I mean, that's how it's treated. Oh, my gosh. Somebody actually did what they said they were going to do or attempted to. What a hero. Uh, that's that's the minimum requirement. Minimum. Anyway, the journal continues. Mr. Trump would not have won without the open Supreme Court seat as the motivation for millions of conservative voters. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think that's true. No. And it's very hard to make that case out. Uh, the motivation was, yes, definitely the Scalia, the seat that uh, was vacated uh, upon Scalia's death, and it was Supreme Court nominees. But what Trump did, and this was with you know Leonard Leo at the Federalist Society at the time and, and other conservative advisors around him, not named McConnell. Remember, he published the list of not judicial nominees that would be on his shortlist for Supreme Court, right. not just for the Scalia vacancy, but also for the potential of uh, additional selections. So that was like, okay, even if you don't like Trump and you're not part of this sort of populist revolt that was going on, which is actually the reason he won, then you still have to um, appreciate that this is so important. So it wasn't about McConnell and Scalia exclusively, although that's a part of it and he gets some credit for what he did there, fine. But the idea that McConnell delivered Trump in 2016 is really. Stretching it to three, say the least. Yeah, three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in DA. Then a quick comment: Who should replace Mitch McConnell? Mark's outside. 
Good morning, Dan and Amy. Should President Trump win, I would like to see Marsha Blackburn lead the Senate for the Republicans. Okay. I like Marsha Blackburn. All right. Thanks for the call. I just can't believe he's sticking around till January 27. Well, I mean, you know, when you're going to go, I mean, when you make the speech that he did say, you know, it's time when you know it's time, it's time. Well, goodbye. <laughs> well, he's also he also may be saying that for now and, yeah. and trying to uh, just, just put that off the 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 free for all that will ensue for to run for his seat. And maybe he's going to try and wire up an a heir apparent, maybe Daniel Cameron. That wouldn't oh. the the uh, Kentucky AG who lost that to governor's race last year. That wouldn't be a bad uh, a bad move. But regardless, I, you know, we'll see. Three years is a long time, especially when you're oh. 82. Yeah. Uh, Bill and Glen Ellen. For Trump, the Senate is vitally important. Justices Thomas and Alito are in their 70s, so at any time they could you know die or retire. And having Senate in control of the Republicans is, I mean. Massively important because if Trump wins, they'll be the ones to push through his nomination. If the Democrats win, it'll be a way to maybe moderate the radicals that whoever the Democrat is is going to put in there. And that's 30 to 40 years of anti-American ruling that we'd have to face if the Democrats take that court over again and there's no way to block them in the Senate. So this is vitally important. People have to vote that way. In this next election, they they never think in the long term on the Republican side. It's always each election, and that's it. And then we're going to stick it to the guy who who lost because we were, you know, our feelings are hurt. You know, we have to go forward and win the Senate. Yeah, no question. Thanks for the call. And I think the combination of um, well, this conversation we're having now, recalling how important 2016 was with respect to the federal judiciary and specifically the high court. And also what we're going to be witnessing over the the next uh, seven months leading into the November election is really going to put a reminder about the Supreme Court and courts of law and the justice system. So I I think this will be as uh, much of a factor, certainly as it was in 2016. I mean, look right now with the left uh, hysteria, the left hysteria over the Supreme Court taking up Trump's immunity claims. Uh, Carl in Remington, Indiana. I kind of chuckle as I was listening because you brought up the Supreme Court justices. Good morning. I'm in North Carolina today. Hey, uh, as much as I'm liking the idea that uh, we we take control of the House, I'm thinking I would like Ted Cruz, but I really, really want him to go to the Supreme Court because he is such a good constitutional uh, judge. Lawyer, yeah, lawyer, and yeah, he's mm-hmm. conservative. So I'm thinking maybe Johnson, Senator Johnson from Wisconsin, because he's all about America. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Carl. No, I like Ron Johnson. I, I don't, you know, the other thing too is you have to factor in who really wants to be Senate Majority Leader, because maybe not all of them do. Um, I'm not sure Senator Johnson does, but but yeah, we'll he's see who effective. decides to mm-hmm. to you know put them put their uh, name in the mix. Um, I think Rick Scott probably has the inside track and he may be the consensus choice of conservative reformers because he can get it done. He did a good job at NRC, NRSC raising money and supporting candidates. He's pretty much been right on the money with respect to calling out leadership, Mitt McConnell, 
uh, when appropriate and standing with the uh, more vociferous backbenchers. Who's who's going to be John Thune's best friend now? Yeah, he's going to have to find he's a new best friend. He's, he's like Larch. He stands, he's always standing behind him. Yeah. Your back and Jody's to the right. I mean, it's what are they yeah. going to do? It's and not going to when trio, yeah, the lunch. The three Musketeers. I mean, my goodness. The lunches with um, with Lisa Murkowski are going to <laughs> seem empty. Uh, these nah, coming off for Jonathan. Uh, the um, uh, what was I just going to say about the uh, um, no, thinking about the backbenchers? Uh, George in Naperville. Yes, Dan, and let us never forget the power of the people that couldn't stand Hillary. That sure helped Trump. There's no question about it. You know, your opponent matters, and to be as detestable as Hillary Clinton is made Trump just more palatable enough for many. No question about it. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Just uh, following up on uh, your concern for John Thune's social yeah his social calendar is going to be a little empty i mean he just follows him everywhere it's so cute yeah so john thune needs a new best friend because mitch mcconnell is uh, leaving and he's <laughs> i mean he's he still be around but yeah. it won't have and the then a cu- that, yeah. and then a couple years he won't be around and then what john thune's going to do so i have an idea what? just came to me okay his new best friend can be susan collins because I could just imagine, I mean, I I thought of that, and then I immediately, the image of Henry Fonda and Catherine Hepburn from On Golden Pond <laughs> popped into my head, and I could just see them. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Susan Collins already talks like that. Oh. And and John, Th- I mean, I could totally, you know, and I could see John Thin with a little fishing hat out and, yeah. you know, taking his great-grandkids out to uh, fish while he's... Waiting uh, to be told see, how to vote in the Senate. Did you see Susan Collins? She gingerly went up to him and gave him a hug on the Senate floor after he made his announcement. Yeah. It was so sweet. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. so old and feeling Chuck Schumer, you know, slid over there and shook his hand. I mean, these people are so old. Yeah, I know. It's the My cast God. of Cocoon. I know. We we all know. <laughs> the 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 um one thing I, one other thing about Rick Scott I wanted to mention though too in terms of yes. him possibly being a consensus conservative choice even though I know people may like a Rand Paul or a Ted Cruz or a Mike Lee better and I, I probably do too but 
I mean, Rick Scott's not a dynamic guy, but he is a competent guy. And he he has done some he does he has put together a pretty good conservative reform record, not just in the Senate, but lest we forget during his time as governor of Florida. I mean, from from Trump Jeb to Rick Scott to Ron DeSantis, there is a thread and it continues to get better. But, you know, each of those individuals deserve credit for making Florida what it has become, uh, including, of course, the incumbent. So I just just, you know, fodder for thought and discussion. Uh, all right. We have to get to this uh, other matter. Oh, this uh, came came over the transom uh, Late last, last evening. Night, yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, if there's a bad idea or anything that would run afoul of a free society, you know Illinois wants to get in on that action. And so yesterday, a Cook County judge got Illinois in on that action following Maine and Colorado in kicking Trump off of the ballot. One Cook County judge, Tracy Porter. Don't say her name. Don't, yeah. I don't want to. She's a complete narcissist, and she is doing this. To get her name out there, to look well, like you, a you, hero. Do you know her? No, I've 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 had an interaction with her in the. You past. have? Yes. What? How? I don't know. I'm. It was at an event, and I just, I am sick to my stomach that she did. Wait, this. tell me more. No, I was years ago. I no, 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 no. no. Oh, you no, can't no. say. You can't say I had an interaction with, uh, one of the great uh, legal minds of our. Of our generation, Tracy Porter, Cook County's uh, machine-slated Cook County judge. You can't say I had an uh, interaction with her and then not tell us the nature of that interaction. I'm compelling you. I'll subpoena you to testify under oath. I'm pleading the fifth. No, I was at some of it. I really can't. I've got Newsheimers. I can't remember where I was, but it just doesn't surprise me when I saw her picture. I'm like, oh, of course. Of course. Black female judge in Chicago trying uh, to make a name for herself. I don't know if she's trying to elevate her career or just... You know, it's her civic duty. She thinks in her mind to to take down Trump. But this is just another uh, part of election interference. Your Honor, uh, permission to treat the witness as hostile. Uh, isn't it true that you do remember exactly what that interaction was like and that you're refusing to testify, though you're compelled to? <laughs> you're compelled to. I don't have that in my contract. <laughs> um, so what? I mean, well, regardless of that, was I mean, it a cock? Was it a, like a cocktail party? Yes. Was it a, was it a fist fight? So, so now, so you do remember? No, it's oh, not a fist, a fist fight. Yeah. So what happened? Did she did she insult your dress or something? What? No, what? no, nothing like that. I was just you know at, a, at the same event that she was at, and she was hanging around the same group of liberal Democrats. Well, everybody's a liberal Democrat, and you're just the Republican in the room watching. This. Were did, were you not allowed to hang out with the cool kids? Is that it? You were told to stand in the corner. Well, I know. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Did she take the last crab puff? I mean, what 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 was the inter? What was the interaction? I I, I don't want to. Well, how bad could it be? What, what, what I'm just it, saying that uh, the move itself. I don't. Know, I I just think that these judges, all of them, the ones that I know, I think so highly of themselves, and they think they're like the second coming. And well, what does she say? Was it's she just like her wait? Attitude. She just has a haughty attitude. There you go. Did she? Um... She didn't grab my lower back like Obama did. She didn't do anything mm. like Barack did back in the day. Mm. You know, he must say have thought you were... like holding the center of, ba- of your back. He must have thought you were Larry Sinclair. Hey! Oh no! Oh, that's so rude. No, no, no. But it doesn't. You know, the the fact that she did this just makes me sick. And I know I shouldn't be surprised, Dan. But when I was driving home and I heard it on the radio, I about pulled off the road. Like we don't have a choice. But here's the thing that I want to ask you. 
Early voting started February 15th. Yeah. So w- people have already voted for Trump in the Yeah, and you primary, can continue so. to. His, his name's on the ballot. You can continue voting for him. This this will have no impact. I mean, she... And she you know, stay I, on her own order right after she brought down you, the order. I mean, I'm surprised uh, by the fact that you suggest she is uh, arrogant in any way because... She was so humble in this decision uh-huh. that she wrote that her decision could perhaps not be the ultimate outcome. She recognized <laughs> that a Cook County judge is not more powerful than the United States Supreme Court, which is something you don't get a lot in Cook County. So, I, you know, I appreciate that sort of humility from Kate, from a Judge Porter there. I just yeah. feel bad for Trump because it's I mean, he's how much money is he spending on attorneys? Well, they have to appeal. They said they'll appeal the Trump campaign last night, so they're going I to appeal. I wouldn't even bother. until Friday. I wouldn't even bother. Yeah, yeah, the, the appeal's already pending. This is this is just piling on, so it doesn't even matter. I wouldn't even go through the waste the time and money. Fine. Fine. Um, he should, inst- and I, I saw the statement he issued, which was the, the statement you would expect. Right. You know, this is outrageous and blah, 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 election interference, and we'll immediately appeal, and they're going to be rebuked and all that. That's true. I would have gone the other way. Thank you. Really? Thank you, Judge Porter. Thank you. Uh, th- this is what I mean. He, again, do you need if you in case you needed another example of what I've been saying? Let me introduce you to Cook County, Illinois. Let me introduce you to one of their fungible machine slated judges. This is what they do. Um, so. Again, thank you for making it clear that in jurisdictions run by the left in an unqualified way where there is no competition and there is nothing even resembling accountability, um, if you're not their preferred candidate, then you're not allowed to participate. Nope. Thank I mean, you. Let the people decide. God, it just... And then I got a text message and somebody wanted me to ask you this question. How much did Pritzker pay Porter... To make that ruling. Oh, God. Th- th- this, what, you think this helps? Who does this help? This helps Trump. I mean, d- 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 spill, uh, you know, uh, cry no tears for Donald Trump. This helps him politically. Illinois is irrelevant in almost every way. And but certainly politically with respect to the presidential race, the decision is is completely redundant because of what is pending before the Supreme Court. If Colorado and Maine don't stand, then Illinois and any other state won't stand either. You've had 31 uh, challenges to Trump's status on the ballot. 31 states have uh, have or are fielding a challenge. And uh, now three of them have removed him. Dozen more have dismissed those claims. Or adjudicated them and said he stays on the ballot. So, I mean, this is this is just straight politics. So I guess this serves the cocktail set in Cook County and they can pretend they did something to save democracy, you know, from their perspective or something like this. The way the same way that Hunter Biden is not going to smoke crack for the next six months to try to save democracy. Wonderful. Completely irrelevant to everybody else's life. But but you you know, that's. You know, you have that interest to serve or, right, you want your star turn. What You want to get uh, your chance to be on The View or something? Fine. The, the hero it's, du it, jour it is, from this, the left. This is, not, this is not putting anything upon Trump. It is helping him. 
just as I mean, the indictments, obviously, that's a little bit different because his freedom is at stake and you do have to spend tens of millions of dollars in legal fees. But but it, it nevertheless, if you just look at it strictly from a political perspective, it obviously substantially helped him. So this is just the left providing more help. Three, one, they think, two. They think they think it's demonizing him further. They think it'll make him, uh, you know, more and uh, more uh, box office poison than he already is. But they are so inside their own heads. They are so within their own little bubble that is, you know, thick like the the walls at Fort Knox. They have no appreciation for the reaction of ordinary people to this sort of imperious conduct. So keep keep acting this way and keep stoking the energy for Trump. That's what this does. I love the headline. Illinois judge removes Trump from state ballot because of insurrectionist ban. Do do I even have to say it? He never was charged with insurrection. Uh, Doug Schoen is a former Trump impeachment attorney. He had uh, this to say. It's not democracy. It's as anti-democratic as it gets. They're going to get slammed by the Supreme Court. Illinois has long, and especially Cook County, long been heavy-handed with ballot access. I had to go into the federal district court there to challenge the constitutionality of ballot access law. Another heavy-handed move they made. They slammed them. They were so adamant about it. When I went to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, they sent six lawyers in to argue against me, and they lost again. They're going to lose this time. It's horrible. It sends a terrible message to the American people. Why are they afraid of the ballot? The ballot is what really makes this country work. Yeah. I'm with Why them. are they afraid of the ballot? Yeah. We like elections Soviet style here. Yeah. What do you always say? I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. Good and hard. Dan in Salem, Wisconsin. Dan and Amy. Talk about democracy oppression. These Democrats are doing exactly what they blame Republicans for. And as far as that New York, with that Statue of Liberty, liberty is freedom. They need to take it down what they did to Trump. There's no liberty anywhere for a conservative. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Dan. Bob in Buffalo Grove. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Thanks for taking my call. Always good talking to you. Explain to me legally what Trump did wrong in Illinois. There was no legal insurrection yet with regards to Trump. It's all political, as you said, Dan. And uh, I'll be voting soon. I wonder what my ballot will say on there, because the, the ballots are already right. Yeah, 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 the, but what about the, electronic? You know? Would it, he be taken off that? No. The ballot's going to, I mean, first of all, it, I mean, I, I understand that you, you want the chance to cast your vote and cast your vote for Trump if that's mm-hmm. who you want to vote for. Um, but, yeah, this is not going to change anything. This is sound and fury signifying nothing other than um, you know, Tracy, Porty, Tracy Porter's ambition. Say her name. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the, the, the judge's yeah. argument, if, since Bob asked legally, is essentially that, um, right, because he uh, is guilty of inciting an insurrection, as you've heard before, these phony... Well, these fallacious, I should say, 14th Amendment arguments. Uh, So given that he incited an insurrection under the 14th Amendment, combined with the ruling by the Colorado Supreme Court, Trump falsely swore that he was legally qualified for office in his filing with the state, and he's not legally qualified for office, so he's off the ballot. That's essentially the argument. 
It's not a very good one. And that's why it's not going to go anywhere. But anyway, that's... Uh, Glad that's we have what, you here. That's what they're going with. Uh, so, okay, great. You know, I mean, keep pounding away. Don't let people forget for a minute who you are and what you aim to do. The kind of society we're going to live in if you're left in power. Please, uh, I, 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 we try to remind people as much every day uh, about, on that very issue. If the other side that we're trying to remind people about is going to do the reminding for us, I welcome it. Thank you. Here's, a, I mean, just as a, a related story. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is something. What? This is what they, this, I mean, you, you want to understand what they actually believe I mean, you you need to hear the hysteria on the other side. You need to hear what they think is going to happen and what uh, all these other people who've had their brain stems disconnected and just repeat MSNBC can't actually run around thinking and saying. I wouldn't say thinking, run around reciting dutifully they, and feeling. They don't think, they Feel and they recite. Feel and recite. So Mad Dog Maddo Mm -hmm. over at uh, MSNBC. This is basically center cut reaction on the left to a completely anticipated decision by the Supreme Court to take up Trump's immunity claims in the Jan 6 case in D.C., Completely anticipated that this would ultimately go to the Supreme Court. In fact, uh, on the day he was indicted, uh, you knew the immunity claim he was going to make. And you knew that ultimately the Supreme Court was going to have to weigh in here. So now the Supreme Court has granted cert and they've set uh, uh, oral arguments for April 22nd. And it's unlikely, as we've been telling you for weeks on the show, that any of these trials because of what Fonnie Willis did, because of the uh, complications in the classified document case, just how how dense that case is right. with respect to discovery, and uh, and because of these uh, immunity claims made by the former president that are ultimately going to have to be taken up by the Supreme Court. We told you these trials are not going to go before the November election, with the exception of Manhattan, which is scheduled for March 25th, which is why I have this concern, which is why I've been ranting about uh, the sort of messaging Trump should be doing. But anyway, so completely expected. And yet here is Mad Dog Maddo telling you what's going to happen because of SCOTUS's decision to weigh in on the matter of Trump's immunity claims. Based on what they have done without having to wait for the ruling is that they are ensuring that Trump will not face trial. And when they inevitably rule that presidents aren't immune from prosecution after they leave office, what that will tell Donald Trump, if by then he is president, is that he can never leave the office of the presidency. And if he is voted out in 2028, he cannot leave office and he is willing to he is is welcome to commit any crimes he wants to as long as he is still president in order to ignore the result of that election and stay in power for life because otherwise he's going to go to prison when he gets out i mean 
Does she need some counseling? It may have been Chris Hayes. I always confuse the two. Uh, Kim on the South Side, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, Dad and Amy. Good morning. Um, I had a question. I'm a Cook County election judge, Republican. Would it be what? helpful? You're a what? A Cook County election judge? A Republican a, judge? A Republican judge in Cook County? Come on. Seriously. Uh, they, okay. they need them. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I've heard. Yeah. All right. Somebody had mentioned on, like, the Sean Thompson show a while back, if they did this, if we all came together and, like, quit on them, would that send a message, help out at all, not help? What do you think? Uh, we give them even more free reign to manipulate the results? Exactly. Um, exactly. I was thinking that, too. So is it? No, I don't, th- I don't think so. I, You know, look, uh, hey, you know, I always say, as long as you're going to stay in, in Chicago and Illinois, at least put in the fight where you can while you can. So I said, no, absolutely. I'd walk in there proudly, and, and I'd, I'd have a thank you, uh, Tracy Porter uh, T-shirt on and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, No, absolutely. Stick it right to them. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy the angst and the anger and the hysteria coming from their side. Just revel in it and right in their faces. Okay. Absolutely. Right. No, stick okay. it out. Thanks okay, the, will do. Thanks for, for the call, Kim. Appreciate it. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Emmy. Big day at the border. Uh, President Biden is going down there to shuffle around for a bit and bitch about Republicans being obstinate. Um, but get that photo op of yeah. being down at the border so he can uh, feign interest in border security. Yeah, but he's going to Brownsville, which uh, yesterday 12 people crossed over, a baker's dozen. And uh, Trump's going to where the action's at, and that's Eagle Pass. And yes, on Monday they had 511 illegals cross there so it's complete complete photo op why would he choose brownsville if i was a reporter covering that story i would never ever go to brown brownsville used to be a hot spot years ago but that's not where people are crossing so did you just answer your own question yeah i guess so 
I love talking to myself, Dan. Uh, well, I mean, why is he going there? Because uh, that's not a place where people are crossing. Hello, Fox Butterfield. That's why he's going there. So he, uh, he wants to go. He wants to go stand next to that hole in the wall in the San Diego sector where you just had people endlessly streaming in and, ta- and the property owners sitting there watching them, watching them helpless to do anything, and Border <laughs> Patrol sitting there watching them helpless to do anything, and the president will stand there out watching them helpless to do anything, or at least he'll pretend to be helpless to do anything. That's not a great photo op. Remember That's not that what they're looking for. Delegation of senators went down, and there's a family and a mom and a dad, and they're literally crossing the Rio Grande behind there where they set up their press conference. It's a uh, clown world. It is surreal. Um, and I expect uh, more of that today, more surrealism today. But meanwhile, back at the ranch for the families that are bearing the brunt of the lawlessness at the border, like the Riley family in Georgia. The uh, mayor of Athens, Georgia. A guy named Kelly Gertz. Had a press conference yesterday to address public safety in Athens, Georgia, in the wake of that gruesome murder of uh, Lake and Riley. And, uh, boy. Dear Lord. uh, Georgia doesn't allow for sanctuary city designations, but when you listen to Kelly Gertz, it's pretty clear that he's sort of a sanctuary city guy. Yeah. Per his disposition. And... um, and the residents know it. And so some residents showed up to protest Kelly Gertz at this little was awesome. press conference that was supposed to, you know, allay people's fears about Athens, Georgia being a safe place. Well, listen to how he started and um, the reaction it got. Humanity is the expectation of human dignity. While 2019 was not that long ago. You might remember the dynamic we were living in in the late teens in this country where you had the President of the United States speaking in the most vile terms about people who were foreign born. And you had that notion metastasizing in places like Charlottesville. 312-642-5600, turnkey.proance line, 64636DA, turnkey.protext line. You start off a briefing on public safety in your community after a nursing student is brutally murdered by talking about the dignity of everyone and Trump in 2019 and what he said about uh, illegal immigrants or and Charlottesville. Three one two six. Talk about a tell. Yeah, three one two six four two five six zero zero. Turnkey Depro answer line six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. So as you start, as you started to hear, uh, that drew a reaction from those in the peanut gallery, and uh, that reaction continued. When I was younger, I was a criminal, and you know what I thought about doing? Crossing the border to Mexico to get away from my crimes. Son, I'm going to ask you to leave. Jesus Christ, he saved me, and I no longer live that lawless life. I'm, but you do. Son, I'm going to ask you, you to leave. You lawless, Mr. Mayor. I'd be glad to schedule some time with you if you'd like some individual time. Yeah, I'd like to spend some time with you. <laughs> I love it. And the reporters that were in the room, when people were screaming, you're a liar, there was 25 different people saying that. They, they sat there like, give it to them. You know, nobody tried to interrupt or say, hey, you're not a reporter. Why are you in this room? 
No, they were. They let him go. They let him cook, you, so to speak. You are the lawless one. You are living the lawless life, Mr. Mayor. Uh, that didn't stop Gertz. What we wish to do is dignify everybody's humanity. There's nothing in that resolution that creates... You took your note to uphold the law, not your feelings or nor your opinion. Chief, I'm you never to be a No, sir. You're talking BS to us right now. I, I need to answer one question. Bring it hard. This is so good. Kelly Gertz uh, continued. Kind of environment that uh, he wants to create in Athens, Georgia. But listen very closely who he's focused on creating the safe environment for. That those families that are here came here under less than ideal circumstances. I've outlined my desire for better better federal legislation that would standardize the immigration process. We've not not been living in that environment. I mentioned I was a career educator. I've worked with a lot of students and their families in this community And the practical reality is that those families tend to be blended amongst a variety of immigration statuses. We want to create a stable environment for people in our communities. And when that community is disrupted by hate or vitriol, that's not a safe environment for their school children and their families to live in. Uh, Could he be more tone deaf? I mean, he's saying that we should respect criminals. It's very bizarre. Um, right, we, safe and uh, comfortable environment that not disrupted by hate or vitriol, maybe in some cases murder. This is what you're dealing with. He's Add public enemy right now. You know what? I'm listening to this guy, and he's making me sick, and like all liberals do. But everyone's already forgotten what this girl went through. Mm. Let's talk about how this animal approached her let's talk about her dreams and aspirations let's talk about her family now that's going to look at her for holidays or whatever and she ain't going to be there but they're always going to think that this animal that joey brought over the border personally to do with this girl what happened to this girl nobody's talking about that it's always that these illegals have rights over everybody but you know what no one cares about the actual pain and suffering that this girl went through. And I wish you would find some of your idiot listeners that support Biden and have them answer that question. Have a nice day. Yeah, I Thanks just kept going. What about the dignity of Lincoln Hope Riley? I mean, that was just lost yesterday. I mean, and who the hell does he think he is to make Athens a sanctuary city if it's illegal in the state of Georgia? Well, he's not making it a sanctuary city. It's just that it's, it's, he's doing it in a de facto way. I mean, just by his attitude, you can tell what he believes, the words that he used. I mean, uh, it's um, it's, it's you know, oh, it's, uh, the the backlash. We it's it's the same thing we had in <clears throat> when we were dealing with um, a more uh, pressing threat of Islamofascism. Oh, the backlash, the backlash. It's always the backlash. It's never the people that were slaughtered. It's ever the sense of the the sensibility of the underlying policy. It's just the backlash against marginalized populations, and I'm going to be the great vanguard of the marginalized. Mm-hmm. 
19-year-old Honduran man has been arrested in Kenner, Louisiana, following a series of violent crimes. The uh, investigation into this 19-year-old Honduran began February 20th when the local police notified of a rape of a 14-year-old girl at Knife Point. Uh, Then on Sunday, police responded to a stabbing. Mm -hmm. Then uh, police say a man was getting out of his vehicle and approached by this guy demanding his property during the robbery. Stabbed the victim multiple times in his face and his back. Victim taken to hospitals in stable condition. He was arrested and booked on one count of armed robbery, aggravated battery, first-degree rape, and aggravated assault. A nice detainer was issued for this 19-year-old Honduran. People uh, are huddled masses yearning to be free, like this 19-year-old Honduran, like the Venezuelan who murdered Lake and Riley. Like another Venezuelan who shot and killed a two-year-old girl. But but I, I know uh, we're supposed to remember that, hey, right, there's some, some eggs are going to be broken when we're making this omelet that uh, Kelly Gertz was describing, the safe, hate-free environment where there's no vitriol and uh, we don't have a president stating obvious things like there's a percentage of people coming into this country illegally who are bad hombres, which is what he said, which is 100% correct. Now, that's that's we got we got to focus on the big picture. We can't focus on the lives of the little people. Right. California representative Katie Porter, Senate candidate. Well, I think when a horrible tragedy like like this happens, I think whenever we're dealing um, with violent crime, there is a sense of outrage, of sadness and of loss. But I think the important thing to focus on is any one instance shouldn't shape our overall immigration policy, which has so many different facets, including economic choices about what workers to allow in and how to create prosperity in America. So the situation is tragic and it's a loss and it's important to acknowledge that, but also to recognize all the other how all the other parts of immigration policy fit together. Yeah, I mean, you can't get hung up on the murder of a nursing student or the rape of a 14-year-old, okay? You can't get hung up on these things. Or the murder of a 2-year-old. And we can go on, and Molly Tibbs go on and on. And KJP was asked about Lake and Riley yesterday. I'll just play some of this. She's reading from her. She's While the reporter's asking her the question about, she's flipping through her binder. Karina, has the president spoken to the family of Lake and Hope Riley, the young Georgia student who was murdered allegedly at the hands of an undocumented immigrant? So, first of all, I, I do want to extend uh, our deepest condolences she's to the family and loved ones of Lake and Hope Riley. I don't want to hear. I'm sorry. Uh, given I it, but she's reading from her binder. She has Tom zero and, empathy. Tom in Blue Island. Hey, Tom. Tom. Tom is having phone troubles. All right. Jim and Crown Point. Yes, Mark Twain said, God practiced making idiots, and then he made politicians. Hi-oh. Thanks for the call, Jim. Uh, Mary Kay, Western Springs. Oh, you know, I like the slam at the, or talking about blended families of illegals. Got to feel sympathy for the blended families. That's just a stupid, one of the many stupid comments this guy made. As a mother of a 22-year-old young woman, watching these stories, just, it's, it's, it's so scary, Amy, and it makes me think, you know, I know it happens all over. I know the Venezuelans are everywhere. Um, 
thinking about Except what happened in Venezuela. Yeah. The crimes down yeah. in Venezuela. You're right. They're, oh, I know, because they all came here. Why wouldn't they? They let the jails out probably and told them to go over here. Um, and what can we do? The only thing we can do is reform immigration law, get Trump back in office. And um, I wish that these uh, people talking about the overall picture and everything were more afraid for the Americans, because I'm afraid for the Americans. And I, I'm getting my throat, my, I'm getting emotional because it is wrong on so many levels. So just vote for Trump, get these people out of, of Washington and hope for the best with, with the next administration. Because, I, I, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know what else to say. Thanks for the call, Mary Kay. Well, um, I, I would say, yeah, it's uh, a worry about the safe, stable environment for Americans and, uh, frankly, other migrants. I don't want, even if people came here illegally, I don't wish them any harm unless they wish others harm or act in furtherance of committing harm. But we've said this before. I mean, you've got a, a mixed bag there, too, in close quarters, and you've got fights breaking out. You've got a, an element of thuggery and and cartel and, and functionaries and gang members that are all mixed in here, too. And so there are migrants that are as in much or more danger than Americans. And where's the concern for the migrants from the Kelly Gertzes of the world and the Katie Porters of the world? The, the you know, the, the 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 peaceful migrants who should have entered through a port of entry and not just cross the border or coyote themselves here, but who are otherwise not going to commit violent crimes. Where's the concern for them? I don't hear that. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine at an event uh, the other day, and he's uh, yeah. got a, a, a real connection to uh, Cuba. And he was talking to a friend of his uh, who has got his family paid to get his family over here from Cuba. And I mean recently, I'm not talking in the Castro era. Okay. Not that much has changed. And um, two prices. The uh, no-rape price or the other one? Oh, God, Dan, that's awful. I know, and Reality. somebody die and just drown crossing so, the Rio so, Grande. Uh, no-rape price. Yeah. The no-rape price was four grand more than the standard price. And and you want to encourage, you want to encourage that, that business? Because that's what you do when you say, come at your leisure. Tom in Blue Island, try again. Hey, good morning, Dan, Amy. Dan, it, it seems to me when one of these people are murdered, it's almost like you can sense that these leftists, their their point of view is like, Damn, what are we going to say about that? It's like, I, I, I just get the feeling they couldn't care less about this young lady. I read a story the other day that the crime rate in some of these countries has plummeted. Like, yeah, for right. uh, you, know, I, they, you know, they call it a rumor when you say that they're empty in the prisons. But, boy, it seems like there's a possibility of a correlation there. And then you wonder if this uh, Athens, Georgia mayor is angling for Mayorkas's job. Thanks for the call, Tom. Doug in South Loop. Doug, South Loop, Chicago's Morning Answer. You're on. Oh, yeah. I uh, actually, following up on what that fellow just said, my question for you is, um, 
this guy, the mayor of uh, Athens, Georgia, he knows without a doubt that what he's saying is going to be extremely upsetting, even to many Democrats, since it's like 70 percent of the people opposed with going off the border. So the question is, is why? Why do you think that the whole point is to stir up unrest and hatred? And that, it seems to be. I'm, that's my question. Is well, I'm glad he showed who he really yeah, was. Thanks, thanks for the call. Um, well, yeah, the question, it's, a, it's an interesting one. The question is, is, it, is he being provocative to stoke the backlash that he fears, you know, to make it self-fulfilling? Um, remember, I mean, uh, remembering that um, the left is no stranger to violence. In fact, that's one of their calling cards. So if you if you're not getting the violence that you want to demonize Charlottesville, he mentioned Charlottesville. If you're not getting the Charlottesville story that you want, then you try to goad it into existence by being purposefully provocative and insensitive. That's that's it's an interesting concept. Now, the flip side, particularly when he said, you know, as a lifelong educator, oh, there's oh, now now I got it. Um, The other the flip side is he could just be, you know, a completely lobotomized leftist that just is unable to recite anything other than what you see on people's T-shirts and uh, on their yard signs in Hinsdale. So competing theories could be a combination of the two. I don't know. That guy didn't strike me as. as clever enough to be, uh, you know, to to be sort of uh, passive aggressively incendiary for the purposes of trying to stoke the backlash. I think that's just you know the, the the only words that he knows. That's the only way he knows how to communicate about anything, even the murder of a nursing student. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Now, do you remember it? Yeah. Yes, I love this Name the band. Berlin. Very good. Yeah. Oh, boy. A little pitchy this morning. Uh, The other Berlin hit? Um... Come on, Top Gun. Oh, come uh, on. That Top Gun song. Yeah, right. Very good. Take my breath away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's right. Take my breath away. Uh, I didn't ask for you to sing it, please. <laughs> Re- ruin all my childhood memories. Yeah. Uh, all right. You know, the man with a plan for America happens to be in Argentina. I wonder if he's available. Javier Millet, Argentinian president announced yesterday that uh, he is banning the use of Marxist gender-neutral language in government documents. He's the anti-animatronic Anthony Blinken. The prohibition targets all inclusive language. (laughs) I mean, I just love this guy. Uh, Targets all inclusive language and everything related to the gender perspective throughout the National Public Administration. His critics are saying... This is a distraction from economic woes. So those critics are the party responsible for the economic woes whose executive order on language he is reversing. So this is what I love. It's not a distraction when Anthony Blinken issues a memo to State Department employees saying don't use mom and dad. 
Um, it is a distraction when Javier Millet says uh, we're just going to use the language that actually reflects the reality we all understand. Man, woman, he, her, etc. It's always politics when somebody else does it other than the left. Um, the uh, and, and by the way, just to put a fine point on it, the ban is a reversal of the measures introduced by the previous leftist presidents, de Kirchner and Alberto Fernandez. Uh, the latter, whose son recently changed his official gender to non-binary. Of course he did. His dad should follow suit. Um, the move, this is, the move comes after Malay shuttered Argentina's Ministry of Women, Genders, and Diversity in December. <laughs> Why don't we have one of those? We might, we, I mean, they I know college campuses do. do. They call it different things, but we basically do. You're right. What is the title again? The Ministry of Women, Genders, and Diversity. Oh, OK. I mean, Ayn Rand isn't this creative. Uh, and then he also in February uh, shuttered the National Institute Against Discrimination, Xenophobia and Racism. I mean, you can't combat discrimination and xenophobia and racism without an institute. That's what I always say. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, Malay is uh, living up to advanced billing so far, mainly his own advanced billing. But um very helpful. He he is like a, to culture in the West right now what Florida was to COVID. For more on all of this, we're pleased to be joined by our friend Andrew Clavin, who recently wrote at his Substack, The New Jerusalem, a pretty good think piece, as he always does, thoughtful work on the use of the language, including um, proper Shakespeare references, which I always appreciate. Andrew Clavin's an author, screenwriter. He's also the host of The Andrew Clavin Show at The Daily Wire. Andrew joins us now. Andrew, thank you so much. Appreciate it. It's great to be here, guys. Thanks. So, um, so I mean, I just the, the contrast this week between what's going on with Malay and Argentina and the memo for just the latest example issued by Tony Blinken. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think people on the right or people who just believe in common sense realize how much the way language is used affects what happens to us. Uh, when you pass a law that says every person should be allowed to take birth control pills and not mention the fact that these pills are, are for women, essentially, you're you're basically eliminating an entire sex. I mean, the, the idea that when my friend Matt Walsh asks, what is a woman, uh, that we don't know that we really have, have to define that word. We don't have to define that word. We know exactly what it means. What they're doing is they're undermining the entire human experience. They're using a false idea of science. Science tells us that things are not exactly the way we look at them. So you start out and you say, well, gee, the earth looks like it's flat, but it's really round. The sun looks like it's passing over the sky, but it's really the earth that's turning. And then pretty soon you start to say, well, you know, abortion seems like it might be killing a person, but isn't really a person. And you say, well, marriage looks like it should be between a man and a woman, but isn't a guy and a dog, isn't that really a marriage too? And they're the way they get together. And you start to, you know, incest, what's, what's really wrong? Why is, it seems wrong that a, a guy should sleep with his sister, but, but is it really wrong? And language begins to lose its meaning because reality begins to lose its meaning and the left has been playing off this philosophy and it's a genuine philosophy by the way it's not just they're not just being irrational they actually don't believe that the things that we see that are wrong are wrong they think that our perception is always off and can be changed any way they want 
And the, that's why the left plays with language all the time. You know, we're not we're not leftists. We're not socialists. We're progressives. We're progressives like, you know, emphysema is progressive. And, <laughs> and so and so, the, you know, we're always on our back feet because we are we doubt our, our own experience. Science, in a way, has taught us to doubt our own moral experience. But in fact, human beings are made to see. Right and wrong. You know, we're not always right. We have to think about it. We have to pray on it. We have to, have, you know, have a, a way of finding our way forward. But we have we to know. consult. Uh, we have to consult Gemini AI to make sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, that that's a really good example in a way because Gemini Gemini AI people are blaming Gemini AI for saying stupid stuff, but it's just a machine. It's the stuff that was fed into it by human beings. That's stupid. And when it comes out and misrepresents reality by showing George Washington as a black person, the guy who programmed the machine should be questioning himself, not the AI. It's not we have to fix the AI. We have to fix the philosophy of the people programming the AI. So my only point, I mean, you know, I think that our Christian background should remind us that when you have a God who can incarnate himself as a human being, there is something about the human experience that is very real. You know, when we think, gee, you know, this feels immoral to me, we should listen to that. We shouldn't be able, we shouldn't be talked out of our morality by people who are talking too fast for us to understand them, by people who have philosophized morality away. You know, they, they, we're, we're killing almost a million babies a year in this country, and people are going to the polls to vote and saying that's a human right. It's a human right to kill a baby inside you. You know, and, and the minute you say that, they say, well, it's not a baby. It's, it's a fetus. You know, they change the words because they think that the emotional weight of the words is what matters. But no, you know, what what we see is what is, you know, unless unless you can actually prove that that's not a living person inside your body. That's what it is. And so, I, you know, I think that we don't understand on the right often enough how much their philosophy holds together if there's no God. If, if really reality is anything we say it is, if morality is anything we say it is, then then the left is right. They, you know, you know, it's not you're not a woman because you're born with a woman's body. Richard Levine just has to put on a, a dress and a string of pearls and he becomes Rachel Levine. You know, they're, they're right about that. If we don't think that there is something very, very real about our experiences and the language we use to describe that experience. You know, one of the things I wrote in my piece about that I that I like to bring up is it, I don't know how many people still remember the comedian George Carlin, a very funny sure. comedian, but he used to have this routine, the seven words you can't say on television. And the routine worked like this. He would get up and just start cursing the string of seven horrible curse words until those words stopped meaning anything. And it was very funny. And the point was that we're irrationally banning these words. There's nothing inherently bad about these words. But that's just not true. You know, you shouldn't get your philosophy from comedians. You should get your laugh from comedians, <laughs> but not your philosophy. It's not true. If I can use the word pine tree and put into your mind the picture of a pine tree, I can use a four-letter word for sex and dehumanize sex and tell you that sex is just a physical process with no moral, uh, you know, weight to it, with no relational weight to it. That's what happens when you use a four-letter word for sex. And so words mean things because our experience means things and we use words as tools to communicate our experience to one another and when people start to say they don't know what the word woman means it's because they're not a biologist as one of our supreme court justices said they're they're actually saying something very dangerous you know they're actually negating 
our entire experience of life and therefore our moral senses. And they mean to do it. They philosophically believe our moral senses are not worthwhile. And that's the level that we have to fight them on, because if we don't fight them on the philosophical level, we'll basically lose. So with these words, words, words ever going to go back to normal? Like, I, I am a mother. I am not a birthing parent or a birthing person. I mean, so is our parental ever, unit. Right. Well, they, well, they go back. They go back to meaning what they mean if people have the courage to stand up for them. And this is this is the problem we have on the right is that people can be cowed into saying, well, I don't know what a, a woman means. They can be frightened because they're going to lose their job. They're going to be called down to HR if they don't use the right pronoun. This is why you know this is why uh, Jordan Peterson is is fighting with Canada not because he's unkind to people who are you know mistaken about their sex. It's because he won't be forced to use pronouns that don't describe the world as he sees it because he trusts his own experience of life. So when women allow themselves to be erased by guys like Dylan Mulvaney, they're they're actually doing something both wrong and harmful to themselves, but also wrong and harmful to the rest of us. They have to stand up and say, no, you know, you're not a woman. For instance, I don't think any female sports team, any sports team should play against an opponent that has a man on his team. They should absolutely boycott and forfeit every single game. Every female team across the country should do it. No one should, you know, not just for safety's sake, for reality's sake, you know, for the, for the sake of the dignity of womanhood. It is, a, it is deeply offensive, just as it's offensive when somebody puts on blackface. It's deeply offensive when Dylan Mulvaney puts on a skirt and makeup and says, oh, I'm a girl, and they put him on a, the cover of a magazine. Yeah, but we it's don't incredible. act that way. That's right. <laughs> Well, that's right. We don't stand up to them. Well, yeah. So, so here's the thing: we we don't, and um, and it, we don't even appreciate what you're saying. So it seems to me now, and and so we never see it coming. Some some of us. Uh, that's right. We we never see pedophiles are are what do we call them now? Minor attracted minor persons. Minor attracted persons. Yeah, yes. right. I mean, but it's like no. But you say that somebody's like, what? What's going on? What's happening? So we we and and to me, I, I recently wrote about this in the context of. Um, what that Politico national correspondent Heidi uh, Prisabillo said about Christians versus Christian nationalism. So yes. we allowed we allowed marriage to be redefined out of existence, and this is the way to this is the way to destroy something. Just redefine it out of existence. So marriage, biological sex, and now Christianity and America's origin story is next. And that Politico reporter really gave us an insight when she distinguished between tr uh, Christians. And the Christian nationalists who are Trump supporters, the Christian nationalist is someone who believes that our rights come from God and not the state, essentially, is what she said. And those are the people that are the problem. They're not the true Christians. The true Christians are people that necessarily properly believe that our rights come from government. That's the next. So so strip away your understanding of the founding documents, strip away your understanding of Christianity, uh, strip away your belief in God. That's the next, uh, you know, the, 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 the next threshold they're going to cross. Right. Because, see, this is this is it's so important. And it's like we have been talked out of the idea that we can argue from the point of view of God's existence. But it's really up to them to prove that God doesn't exist. We're living in a creation. We're living in an incredibly complex thing. It didn't come out of nothing. If you can show me anything that came out of nothing, I'll believe that the the world came out of nothing. It obviously came is the creation of a consciousness. So we should we have to cling to that because that's the underlying 
uh, source of our rights and of our mor- moral understanding. And I, I know it's a difficult thing to get through to people because we've lived so long in a country where they've said that God is not allowed in the public square. And I think that that is where a lot of this begins. And I'm not I'm not trying to be a Bible thumping, you know, uh, um, fundamentalist and say, oh, here's a, a verse in the Bible. This is how you have to live. That's not the point. The point is that the world that we, as we understand it, is a spiritual world. You know, there's this intellectual Yuval Harari who goes over to the World Economic Forum. They love him there. And he says, people don't have any rights. Cut a person open. You won't find any rights inside him. Well, that's something so stupid that only an intellectual could say it. You know, of course you don't cut people open and find their rights inside. People are bodies, but those bodies are expressing something more than what is inside them, just like a a car is more than the machinery inside them. You can take a car apart, but you can't drive it. You can take a person apart, but he's no longer a person. We are an entire thing, and we are the expression of spirit, and that spirit definitely can be proved to have rights. You know, the thing that the Declaration says is these rights are self-evident. You don't even have to prove them. They're just it is just evident that you have a right to life because I have a right to life. And that's that's what makes it so obvious. But these people feel that all the things that we see in one another, the love we feel for one another, the the respect we have for one another, the respect we have for people's rights. Those things are not there because you can't see them. You can't smell them. You can't touch them. That's a very, very stupid philosophy. And yet, and yet it is the philosophy of most of our intellectuals, most of our academics. And, and the ordinary folks don't have the language with which to fight back because they use these complicated languages. It sounds like they're saying something important. It sounds like, well, they're too smart for me to argue with. I hear this all the time, by the way. I've traveled across the entire country and I hear people say, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a smart guy. I didn't go to college. I, you know, I don't have the words to argue with these people. And my, my feeling is no, you know, you have, you have your common sense. You see what you see, you know what you are. Don't be talked out of this by a bunch of people with credentials, but no common sense. It, it, it really is important that we begin with God. It really is. And and it's so obvious that we're living in a creation that we shouldn't be talked out of it by people who think they're smarter than we are. They're not. They're, they, they are maybe more educated than we are. They maybe know their field better than we do. But the things that we see, the immorality that we see, the, the things that our words mean, man, woman, marriage, these are things that we, we understand and we know. We don't need to some professor to tell us they don't exist. It's simple nonsense. Andrew Claven, author, screenwriter, host of The Andrew Claven Show at The Daily Wire, and his substack is The New Jerusalem. Andrew, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Great talking to you, Dan. Thanks. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy in his uh, never-ending quest to save democracy. A baby boy hunter appeared uh, before congressional impeachment investigators yesterday for a much-anticipated Q&A session. And actually, from what I understand, and I'm not terribly surprised by this, there wasn't a lot uh, new that was learned. Right. That uh, Hunter has 
pretty been pretty well prepped for this for some time. And what did he do? What you would expect him to do, as he's sort of done publicly, which is chuck up all of his uh, seemingly in, uh, incriminating messages about the big guy, Mr. Ten Percent. That would be his dad, Joe. He's the president. Uh, chalk all that up to his problems with addiction. Right. So that's sort of what I get, the sort of sense I get as to what happened behind closed doors yesterday. But uh, we'll see. There's more to come. Well, according to uh, some leaks from yesterday's deposition, Hunter was on the Burisma or Burisma board to fight Russian aggression in Ukraine. Of course. <laughs> Of course he was. But you got to say, I mean, these... Just like he's given up crack and taken up blow art to save our democracy. No, I got it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, lucky for Hunter, the Democratic Avengers were there to defend him. This is fantastic. What we just witnessed over the last hour was, I think, a deep sea fishing expedition. If this impeachment inquiry continues, then Chairman Comer and Chairman Jordan are working with Russia. They're peddling Russian lies. Basically, the Republicans have become synonymous for Russians. We're talking about someone <laughs> who is an actual citizen, just a regular schmegular citizen. Regular schmegular hunter. Uh, regular regular guy. Republicans oh are God. Russians and hunt and the Bidens are regular schmegular Americans. Okay. By the way, I I, I like that uh, AOC sort of accentuated the fishing expedition to deep sea fishing expedition too. Boy, that is. That's good. Oh, this significant. You got to hear this expedition. real quick. Robert Garcia, Congressman. Republicans apparently hate parents and sons and families that talk to each other by phone often. <laughs> yes. Yep. That's the. That's it. You got it. it. You nailed it. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, all right. So we have that. But I mean, but Democrats, as performative as that was, were even more performative over the uh, news that the Supreme Court had granted cert on the matter of Trump's claims of immunity in the Jan 6th-related prosecution, setting oral arguments for April 22nd, and pretty much ensuring that that trial will not take place before, or certainly will not conclude before the November election. Here's a good example. I mean, I'll see your AOC, and I'll raise you a Jamie Raskin. You know, we've seen this court follow Trump's bidding in dismantling Roe versus Wade in a half century of uh, privacy jurisprudence in order to dismantle abortion rights. So yeah. obviously we can't put all of our hopes um, in the Supreme Court. The people need to be engaged and aroused at this point to uh, demand wow. that there be justice, but also to be organizing yeah. for the election. Everybody needs to be vigilant. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a sanitized version of Chuck Schumer, uh, hey, sending a message to the Supreme Court, you know, we're going to get you, you know, maybe uh, organize some more uh, thuggery outside Brett Kavanaugh's house or something to tell him to speed it up. For more on uh, all of these legal travails, also um, discrimination in Leatherneck land, Western Illinois University, I want to talk to him about that. Professor William Jacobson is a clinical professor of law and the director of the Securities Law Clinic at Cornell He's also the founder of LegalInsurrection.com and president of Legal, the Legal Insurrection Foundation. And uh, they also have the Equal Protection Project, which is uh, where Western Illinois comes in. We'll get to that. Professor Jacobson, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. 
how did you react um, to the completely unsurprising news that the Supreme Court was going to take up the Trump immunity claims? Um, and I'm so, so reacting to the Supreme Court's decision and what that portends. And then, of course, the the histrionics associated with that decision. Yes. I mean, it, it seems that if all you did is read the mainstream media, you would think this is the most shocking thing that has ever happened. <laughs> 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 that they are taking up a critically important issue in an election year. Um, and really what they're upset about is the timetable might mean there's no trial in D.C. before the election. But it's not surprising at all that they took the issue. Presidential immunity is an area there. I don't think there's been any precedent on that because nobody's been charged in the past. Critically important issue, constitutional issue. I mean, it's exactly the sort of issue you would think the Supreme Court would want to take up. And they are. And they're taking up whether uh, his actions as president uh, can be prosecuted after he leaves office. And that's like really important. So, no, it's not the least bit surprising that they took it up. Uh, just like it's not the least bit surprising that they took up the ballot case, whether Trump's going to get kicked off the ballot. We're waiting for a decision on that. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, this is all in the normal course of business. But people's hair is on fire because of it. What about the criminal case or the hush money case out of New York that's going to start in March here? Are you concerned about that one? Well, I mean, that's case is a complete travesty. It really is. Uh, you know, there's something very wrong going on in the New York court system uh, between the civil verdict by the judge, which is essentially a business decapitation of Trump, uh, where nobody lost any money. There were no victims. Um, and then this criminal prosecution where they jumped through all, all sorts of hoops to turn an old, out-of-time, you know, stale, misdemeanor books and records case uh, into a felony under a novel legal theory um, in order to extend the statute of limitations so they could get Trump. So both cases in New York, the civil and this criminal, are good examples of what is wrong with our system. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they're both taking place in New York City. But that looks like it's going to trial and there will be a verdict probably, I would think, by the end of April. Yeah. Yep. Um, in uh, Fulton County, Georgia, uh, not a good uh, situation when um, uh, your former divorce attorney looks at text messages that run afoul of the timeline you've given the court and says, oh, dang, uh, like basically like, oh, you got me. Uh, that was not a helpful moment. Fawny Willis on the stand was not a helpful moment for Fawny Willis and Nathan Wade. I mean, is there any question, really, at least on the merits, that this judge disqualifies Willis and Wade and the Fulton County DA's office from prosecuting this case? Well, I think there's a couple of different issues there. One is whether there was perjury in court, whether they've been lying, in which case there should be, at a minimum, a, a bar referral, a disciplinary referral. Mm -hmm. separate question is whether she gets... Um, uh, kicked off the case, essentially. It doesn't mean the case goes away. It right. means that she can't be involved. And I don't know. I, I would have said before this last round uh, where her veracity was called into serious question, uh, I would have said the judge probably wasn't going to do it because the conflict didn't disrupt the prosecution. But at this point, I don't know how the judge in his courtroom 
can allow this prosecutor who arguably lied on the witness stand um, and about her conflict of interest to continue in the case. I, I just don't see how he can. Maybe he will. But this last round, as you in- indicated, you know, dang, they got me now sort of thing, uh, <laughs> I think is really, really problematic. You know, uh, the, the electronic evidence contradicted what they said in court, and judge is going to have to deal with that. But I don't see how in such a high-profile case he can allow her to be there. Uh, I don't know why anyone who wants Trump convicted would want her there, because that creates a total sideshow. Everybody in the jury is going to know about this. Everybody's going to know that the, the, the woman, the lead prosecutor, was having an affair with her assistant. Um, maybe it wasn't an affair. We're having a relationship with her assistant with the public money financing it. I mean, is this really what, you know, someone who wants Trump convicted wants? No, I know. I mean, she, I, she should be removed, but I don't want her to be removed because of exactly what you just said. It's I, I'm conflicted. Um, it's obviously important to us in Cook County is the uh, the action the Cook County judge took yesterday to remove Trump from the ballot, you know, piling on the Colorado and Maine decisions. Um, but I mean, if if somebody wants somebody like another judge in another jurisdiction, one because there's so many pending wants to do the same thing that Cook County judge did yesterday. I mean, it's just it's sort of immaterial because the Supreme Court is going to weigh in on this in short order. And, you know, all of this becomes moot fairly quickly when they do. If they rule that he stays on the ballot. Right. So these things will become important if for whatever the reason and nobody's predicting this, but if for whatever the reason the Supreme Court rules in favor of Colorado kicking Trump off the ballot, then all of these things come into play. Nobody's predicting that. In fact, all of the left-leaning legal commentators who were listening to the Supreme Court oral argument on the Trump-Colorado case were, besides themselves, predicting 9-0 for Trump uh, or 8-1. to So nobody's predicting that, but you never know what happens. Uh, these things will all turn out to be, you know, meaningless if the Supreme Court rules uh, against kicking Trump off the ballot in Colorado, because it's essentially the same issue. So, Professor Jacobson, let's talk about these discriminatory scholarships at Western Illinois University. What's going on there? Yeah. So at Equal Protection Project, EqualProtect.org, we uh, have brought dozens of claims against colleges and universities who have discriminatory programs. And usually they're a one-off. We find one or we get a tip, more likely, about one at a particular university. Well, we did get a tip about Southern, um, I'm sorry, Western Illinois University, and we started to look into it, and we found 16 of them. We found 16 scholarships there that discriminate on the basis of race, discriminate in favor of, they use various terms. Sometimes they say black students, sometimes they say minority students, the different terms, but basically they discriminate on the basis of race. Some of them also discriminate on the basis of sex. Uh, I think there's one that's only open to black females. Um, and so we have filed a complaint with the U.S. Department of Education over these openly discriminatory programs. And the sheer number and volume indicates to us, at least, that there is a serious problem at Western Illinois University, because in all the dozens of these we filed, We've never found more than one or two at a university, and we found 16 here. 
So uh, some people may look at this uh, story and say, well, wait a second. Like, what if I'm a successful black entrepreneur and I want to endow a scholarship in my name or my family's name at Western Illinois University, specifically for black students to have the opportunities that I had, then um, how would that be? Well, how, what, what's wrong with that? How would that run afoul of the law? Sure. Well, this is a public university, uh, which is administering the scholarship. It doesn't matter where the money came from. It's promoted on their website. It's promoted to their students. It's administered by the school, and it is open only to students of the university. That being the case, there's this thing in the 14th Amendment called the Equal Protection Clause, which Mm -hmm. is that every person is entitled to equal protection of the laws. We had a Supreme Court decision last summer about that in the context of admissions to a university. So it's it's against the Constitution. A public university cannot do that. It doesn't matter where the money came. It also violates a number of U.S. You know, civil rights laws. It violates Illinois law. Uh, so, yeah, there, it, you can have whatever intention you want. You can endow whatever scholarship you want, except you can't endow a scholarship that discriminates on the basis of race or on the basis of sex. And I think one of them even discriminates on the basis of um, sexual preference and gender identity because it's not open to students who are not LGBTQ. So uh, this is a problem there. I don't know what's going on at Western Illinois. uh, Maybe they just lost sight of things. Maybe this accumulated over time. But they need to get a handle of it on it, and they need to comply with the law. Right. The, the key there is that they're a government institution. So, I mean, so th- this is why something like the United Negro College Fund or other private scholarship uh, organizations are under, uh, uh, you know, a, a different legal regime than is a government institution. That's right. And, and there is a case pending out there. It's up in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals about whether um, even these private scholarships can discriminate on the basis of race, not based on the U.S. Constitution, but there's actually um, a civil rights law post-Civil uh, uh, post, um, War that uh, prohibits discrimination in contracting. So, but that's a different legal issue. So whether a private foundation can do this is an open legal question at this moment in time, but there's no open legal question that a public university cannot do this. He is Professor William Jacobson. He's clinical professor of law and director of the Securities Law Clinic at Cornell. He's also the founder of LegalInsurrection.com and president of the Legal Insurrection Foundation, as well as the Equal Protection Project. Uh, and again, that uh, that website, a professor, is... EqualProtect.org. EqualProtect.org. Professor Jacobson, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. A uh, theology professor from uh, over there in Scandinavia has an interesting idea as it pertains to the uh, pro-Hamas forces on college campuses, both in the form of student groups, but uh, more directly, the administrations. 
recently, uh, Norwegian universities, several Norwegian universities, cut institutional ties with Israel, condemning the attack on Gaza, condemning is Israel's attack on Gaza, the, the way they put it. They put a hold on an exchange. One university, Oslo Metropolitan, put an, a hold on exchange programs with the University of Haifa and announced it wouldn't enter into new agreements with Israeli universities. The University of South, Southeastern Norway criticized Israel's actions and terminated cooperation agreements with two Israeli universities. So um, what this professor suggests is, to date, 38 U.S. states have adopted legislation designed to discourage boycotts against Israel. In a similar vein... He writes, universities in the United States should consider setting up counter boycotts against foreign universities that attempt to isolate Israel. Norway would be a great place to start where he teaches. It is the title of his piece is Please Boycott My Country. Uh, this could mean terminating strategic partnerships for research and student exchange. So, you know, uh, he points out Norwegian university when Norwegian university faculty and boards call for boycotts of Israel, their virtue signaling comes without much of a cost, but a counter boycott much changed, might uh, change the calculus because losing U.S. partners would hurt most institutions. I like that. I like a little jujitsu here, and it gives people on college campuses something to do other than try and just sit passively by while they're screamed at or they have to bear uh, witness to the uh, bar barbarism of these pro-Hamas, pro-genocide forces on college campuses. Do something constructive and, you know, take a page out of their book and uh, turn it on them a little bit. I like that. Hmm. For uh, more on this and uh, other related topics, pleased to be joined by Fleur Hassan Nahom, Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem, newly appointed Secretary General of the World Confederation of United Zionists, and host of the popular JNS, that's Jewish News Syndicate, JNS show, The Quad. Fleur Hassan Nahom, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Good morning. Um, good morning. So what about, uh, what about that idea? What about uh, prompting um, the forces that are supportive of Israel and, and more just generally supportive of peaceful pluralism uh, to... Um, you know, to take a take a little bit of the attitude of uh, some of these uh, pro Hamas student groups and uh, put pressure on universities to say cut ties with those who are going to uh, ally with pro Hamas uh, forces. Well, I actually believe that um, that the only way is offense and not defense. And uh, the, the, the problem is that we've been constantly just defending ourselves from absolute stupidity because these people are essentially, essentially people who stand against pluralism, who stand against women's rights, who stand against human rights. They're taking the side of genocidal terrorists who make it very clear what they want to do with the rest of Israel, with the rest of the world. They're funded and backed by Iran. And we all know that Iran have got jihadi ambitions across the world, but there's no rights for anybody in Iran. And it seems like everybody's lost their brains. And so if this is what we're going to be doing, instead of actually being constantly on the defense, we have to go on offense. And this is offense. This is, okay, you're going to be dumb-brained enough to boycott the only democracy in the Middle East, the only place in the Middle East where Arab citizens can actually vote. Arabs are not voting anywhere in the Middle East. 
And this is who you want to boycott, well, then we're going to boycott you. And I think that's a great idea. Um, I know that people have been doing it for a number of years. This is not new. And certain states have been doing it. Certain states have been divesting of investments with people who decided to boycott Israel. And so if it can work for the business world, I think it can work for the academic world as well. Well, yeah. how, how do you think Hamas won the PR war with our youth? And how- well, that's a great question. And it's something I've been really looking into for a while. And I think it combines a number of things. First of all, you have to, I mean, you know better than me because I'm not living over there, how destructive and poisonous the toxic mind culture is. And that basically says that you can never be a victim if you are seen as a successful minority. It's only the encouraged failure, essentially. The original, the original sin is white privilege, and Jews are very close to that, even though we've never been privileged, and most of us are not white, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference. Because ultimately, if you're successful, if you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and made something of your life and made something of your culture, that already automatically means you can never be a victim. And they basically sanctify victimhood and sanctify helplessness. It's really the the opposite of the American dream when you think about it. And so for some reason, Jews have been thrown into this toxic culture, where woke culture, where, you know, because Jews have uh, worked hard since they immigrated to the United States or other places in the world, or Israel, who 75 years ago built an incredible country against all odds, nobody helped us. We did it on our own, but that's not good enough. They will only really stand with the victim who continues to be a victim and helpless and who will never, ever be able to get out of that situation. And so that's part of it. And the second part, I hate to say, but it's true, the anti-Semitism is a mutating virus. And in every generation, it takes a different shape. When my family was kicked out of Spain 500 years ago, it was for religious reasons. When Jews were carted to their gas chambers 100 years ago, or less than 100 years ago, it was for ethnic reasons. All of a sudden, anti-Semitism was ethnic. And now it's all about this, you know, incredibly uh, silly concept of the post-colonial world where essentially Israel, even though this is our indigenous homeland, we've become somehow the white foreign colonizer of the land called Israel after the people of Israel. So, you know, facts and history doesn't, don't really matter to these people. The main thing is that they should pick on the successful party, and even when the successful party has been brutally raped, taken, kidnapped, a war started against them, 1,200 innocent people killed, it doesn't make a difference because, it, you, you know, they deserve this. Um, how, how concerned are you about uh, the Biden administration's vacillation on Israel? Uh, you know, sometimes saying Israel has a right to defend itself and we need to eradicate terrorist organizations, and other times saying we need a ceasefire. Bibi's gone too far. I disagree with this, and so, uh, and 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 then the political, the politics of it here, including a protest vote that. Uh, uh, came out of Dearborn, Michigan, in the primary the other day for Biden. So, so against that backdrop, though, we have the the news, at least the reporting, that um, Israel may be weeks away from something approximating total victory per uh, its uh, operation in Rafah. And so, so I mean, does does what 
is going on in the domestic politics here in America with the Biden administration matter that much at this point? Or is it just noise and the Israeli government is as prosecuting the case to uh, victory and victory is near? Well, you know, I don't see any victory here without our 134 innocent hostages coming home. Um, and so victory is a word we can throw around. But until those people are home with their families, I can't see that we can claim any type of victory. So that's okay. the first thing. We have, we have destroyed the majority of the battalions of Hamas in Gaza. There's still about four left in the south of Gaza and two left in the center of Gaza. Um, this is after destroying about 14. So we are making headway. And the humanitarian crisis over there is mainly caused by the fact that Hamas don't care for their people. And essentially, they're stealing the supplies and they're stealing the humanitarian aid. So even when people say more humanitarian aid, it makes no difference how much you bring in. There is enough already. It's just that it's been it, there's no real uh, effective body to distribute it. And also, they, there's nobody to stop Hamas the terrorists from stealing the aid. And so uh, it's a real mess in there. It's a mess uh, that, that Hamas caused. I think most people are beginning to be very resentful of Hamas. And ultimately, I judge the United States by its actions less than its words. And ultimately, we have received m much help from the American government, from the military, not just in hardware, but uh, in, in all sorts of other ways. And so, you know, America is our closest ally, vice versa. We are a beacon of democracy here in this part of the world where there would be no democracy if we weren't here. And so I'm, I'm positive that ultimately the American government will let us finish the job of getting rid of these genocidal terrorists. I'm hoping that's the case. I want to ask you about uh, something that happened this morning, um, uh, probably the afternoon your time, but the uh, 104 that... CNN is reporting uh, Gazans who were killed this morning. They were waiting in line for food and humanitarian aid, and they're claiming that Israel launched an airstrike against them. Is that even true, or what do you know? What do you know about it? I I didn't hear any I didn't hear any confirmation that Israel uh, did that. Um, remember, we're in the middle of a war. War is not war is ugly. Uh, war is something that. You know, um, you you try and do the best. Israel try to do the best to limit casualties, to limit civilian innocent casualties. But you're dealing with a very, very difficult terrain where Hamas are actually doing their maximum uh, to put innocent civilians in harm's way so that the whole world will be outraged by Israel in a war that we didn't even start. That's their tactic, and it works because all of these 18 to 24-year-olds that Israel is the guilty party in this situation because people are obsessed with images and those are the images that are coming out. And Israel is very sensitive about the images that we release about our victims because we respect the families' rights to keep their privacy. And so we could also show a lot of dead children, unfortunately, but we have a little bit more self-respect than that. That's the difference. Um, I just have to ask, you know, the, the, the members of Congress that are most uh, openly hostile to Israel, the Ilhan Omars, the AOCs, the Rashida Tlaibs, um, Cory Bush, uh, that whole gaggle of legislators. I mean, do, do you consider them like anti-Semites? Do you consider them bigots based on what they say? I mean, what the, you know, I know you look at what America does, not just what is said, but what is said is important, too. I consider them anti-American. Let's start with that. 
um, and and absolutely anti-Semitic. They have completely different standards for Israel than any other country in the world. They do they they they've said openly anti-Semitic things, uh, like Ilhan Omar uh, has openly been anti-Semitic. Um, Rashida Tlaib uh, constantly lies and invents stories. But more than anything, I don't think they, these women who are being paid a salary by the United States government, uh, Congress, actually are patriots of the country that took them in. So I think, uh, I think that's actually shameful from the American perspective rather than the Israel perspective. Yeah, well said. Uh, Flor Hassan Nahom is the uh, Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem, newly appointed Secretary General of the World Confederation of United Zionists, and host of the popular uh, show on uh, Jewish News Syndicate called The Quad. Flor Hassan Nahom, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Nobody has pulled the curtain back on the political class more in the last decade than Peter Schweitzer. Uh, You know him from books like Clinton Cash, Secret Empires, Red Handed. Well, he's got a new one. It's called Blood Money, Why the Powerful Turn a Blind Eye While China Kills Americans. Pretty damning accusation. Peter Schweitzer is the president of Government Accountability Institute and, again, the best-selling author of the book Blood Money, Why the Powerful Turn a Blind Eye While China Kills Americans, which is available now in all the usual spots. Peter Schweitzer, thanks so much for joining us again. Appreciate it. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. So um, from uh, I've only had a chance to read some of the excerpts that have been made available to this point, but I'm looking forward to the full read. But some, from some of what I've read, it's pretty interesting, um, the connections you make, the historical connections, including with respect to fentanyl, uh, China ostensibly doing to us what the British did to them during the Opium Wars. Yeah, it's revenge for the Opium Wars. And I think the biggest misnomer that people have uh, about the fentanyl crisis are twofold. Number one is just another drug addiction problem. It's not. Most of the people that die of fentanyl poisoning don't even know they're taking fentanyl. They think they're taking an Adderall or a Vicodin. You know, some kids trying to study late night for a test. But the second one is that this is a problem caused by the Mexican drug cartels. The drug cartels are the junior partners. China runs this operation. They provide the precursors that come from Mexico. Ninety percent of those precursors come into a port in Mexico in Manzanillo. That international terminal is run by a Chinese company. That's why people cannot seem to stop this flow. Those chemicals are sent to a town in northern Mexico where 2,000 Chinese nationals, according to Department of Homeland Security documents I obtained, 2,000 Chinese nationals create the fentanyl for the cartels. Uh, The cartels use Chinese pill presses to turn the fentanyl into the pills that they sell on the streets. Uh, When the drug cartels were operating in the United States, they used Chinese communication devices because they know the Chinese will not share those communications with U.S. law enforcement. And finally, the laundering of the money. The Mexican drug cartels used to launder their money in Latin American banks. 
They launder them in Chinese state-owned banks now with the help oftentimes of Chinese students here on education visas. So this is a Chinese operation designed to kill as many Americans as possible. And fentanyl poisoning is now the leading cause of death among Americans under the age of 45. And so uh, when we see so um, before we get to the government's role in all this and the Biden family in particular, but um, so when we see, as everybody has seen over the last several weeks, uh, thousands of military age Chinese individuals coming through, for example, a, a hole in the fence in the San Diego sector, what are we to make of that? Uh, well, you're to make of that, that that, you know, some of them may be here just trying to seek a better life. But there is plenty of precedent uh, for Chinese illegals engaging in criminal activity in the United States. Uh, one of the biggest problems we have in the country I talk about in the book is uh, a massive increase in illegal marijuana growth operations. This is not the marijuana that's legalized. This is far more potent. Uh, and these are run by Chinese illegals that are in the country in the state of Maine alone. According to the Department of Homeland Security, there are more than 300 illegal marijuana growth operations being carried out by Chinese nationals involving Chinese organized crime. Um, when you look at uh, some of the social disruptions we've had in the country, you had a unit, a unit of Chinese military officers in the summer of 2020 that came uh, working out of the consulate, the Chinese consulate in Houston, Texas, that were trying to fan the flames of social protest. So. Yeah, some of them may be coming here seeking a better life. The problem is you can't distinguish them from those that are here to engage in illegal activities that are designed to do damage to America. And so with, uh, you know, government knowledge, as you're citing Department of Homeland Security is the source for a lot of this information with federal government knowledge about what is going on. Why uh, does President Xi get treated with kick gloves when he comes to San Francisco? Why is this not uh, why, why are we not hearing this from elected officials, starting with the president of the United States instead of Peter Schweitzer? Uh, good question. So a lot of people in Washington don't want to talk about it because they just go along to get along. If you accept the reality of what's going on, you cannot have a normal relationship with China. You can't talk about a trade agreement. You have to confront these realities. And there's just a lot of people in Washington that don't want to do that. Then you have a smaller, more narrow group of people that have massive conflicts because uh, there are financial connections. Um, consider the Bidens, um, you know, the, the Sinaloa cartel. They are the kings of fentanyl in Mexico. They were set up by a Chinese criminal gang called UBG. This is well-established, well-documented in Mexico and elsewhere. One of the leaders of that gang is a guy named Zhang Anlo, who goes by the name White Wolf. One of White Wolf's business partners gave $5 million to the Biden family. Uh, does Joe Biden really want to have a conversation about Sentinel and about China's role? No, he doesn't. So when he meets with Xi, he goes out of his way to say, we want your help, but we're not pointing fingers. And he certainly does not call them out publicly. If you look at Governor Gavin Newsom of, of uh, California, he has a long association with members of Chinese organized crime syndicates going back to when he was mayor of San Francisco. Uh, you know, he appointed the head of uh, Chinatown's redevelopment in San Francisco, a guy that he appointed was a dragon head in Chinese organized crime. He became friends with another leader of Chinese organized crime uh, who went by the name Shrimp Boy. He actually donated city taxpayer money to his nonprofit. He had a guy on his transition team 
that was later charged with a murder-for-hire plot for Chinese organized crime. When Gavin Newsom, as mayor, set up China SF, which is a designed to bring Chinese investment dollars into the United States, he could have pretty much picked anybody in China. He picked a man named Vincent Lowe, a Chinese businessman in mainland China, who was already known to have ties with Chinese organized crime. And as a result of that, that China SF program brought in into the United States Chinese companies with links to Chinese organized crime who were involved massively in the drug trade. So again, does Gavin Newsom really want to confront China and have a conversation about this? No, because it's deeply embarrassing and damaging to some of the choices that he's made in the past. Well, I've, I've been to two fentanyl funerals, sadly, young kids that died way too early. And one question that was asked is, why do they want to kill our children? Why do the Chinese and, and, and people in Mexico want to bring harm to our kids? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, so China, uh, really since 2010, has... has uh, carried out a policy called disintegration warfare. That's not me saying this. This is There's actually a Chinese publication. And disintegration warfare says, uh, kind of in the traditions of Sun Tzu, the famous strategist, uh, the, way you def- the best way to defeat your enemy is by not actually fighting him. It's by undermining him. Um, and fentanyl is part of that. The Mexican cartels themselves, I don't think, particularly want to kill their customers as they view it. But the Chinese certainly do. And from the standpoint of the cartels, the profit margins for fentanyl compared to cocaine or heroin or any of these other drugs, the profit margins with fentanyl are 10 or 20 times greater than they are if you're selling cocaine. So for them, it's just a, a, a loss that they're prepared to accept because they're driven by money. But as far as China is concerned, this is absolutely part of their strategy I have another section in the book that looks at COVID. We know the people that died in COVID, but China actually carried out policies that exacerbated and magnified America's body count during COVID. So this is very, very much intentional uh, in what their approach is, which is to defeat us without actually fighting a war. So what are some of the other prongs of their disintegration strategy? Because, you know, I mean, we, we, we talk we talk about Confucius Institutes and colleges. We talk about TikTok. I mean, what what how integrated is it in, in which uh, which which of the things that we have discussed previously or are we discuss openly are also part of that same uh, strategy that you're describing? Well, let's talk about violent crimes in the streets. Uh, in fact, in the book, I quote uh, the, the sheriff of Cook County there in your area. Um, describing these small devices called Glock switches that China began smuggling into the United States in 2018. And again, I've got Homeland Security, FBI, Department of Justice documents on this, thousands of them. These are small devices, highly illegal in the United States, certainly highly illegal in China, where you can't even own a firearm. These switches take a normal Glock handgun and turn it into a fully automatic machine gun. Uh, and I have a quote from uh, from the sheriff of Cook County and from law enforcement around saying these are flooding into our cities from China and we can't do anything to stop them. And the Home Department of Homeland Security says that these devices are particularly being marketed and given to criminal gangs in the United States. So we've reached the point where from 2018 to now, the rate of machine gun fire on America's city streets has risen by more than a thousand percent. Um, it's like, you know, Al Capone in the 1930s. Uh, and again, this is part of the disruptive, uh, 
practice. It, it sows chaos on the streets. And, of course, China state media has run several stories talking about, look at all the chaos in America. They never mention, of course, the fact that they are the ones that have been smuggling these into the United States and distributing the, them to criminal gangs over the last five years. And, and on uh, the use of technology and social media, is that part of it as well? It is. It is. Um, you know, we, we obviously have divisions in our country. We all know that. But they are fanning the flames. One of the things they do is they have these large operations that involve thousands of uh, Chinese uh, military technical experts. Uh, and they set up uh, hundreds or thousands each individually of uh, social media accounts in the United States. And they're posing as Americans. And what they do is very simple. Half of those social media accounts say, America is a hopefully race, hope, hopelessly racist society. Nothing can be done. The other half of these accounts posing Amer- as Americans say, I only like white people. So why are they doing this? They're doing this because they want to magnify social conflict in the United States. It's an intentional strategy. Uh, I quote from them. Don't take my word for it. Uh, I name the unit that's doing this. Uh, and again, If there's something that hopeful, honestly, that comes out of this book, it's that I don't believe we're actually as divided as we as we think we are. I think there's a lot of the fanning of the flames that is taking place uh, that is trying to magnify it and and encourage us to be at each other's throats. And I think this is part of the Chinese strategy. What's your assessment of the job that House Republicans are doing as they're, you know, pursuing their impeachment inquiries, plural? uh, with respect to these relationships, specifically, of course, the Biden family and the Chinese Communist Party and all of their uh, organs, um, in addition to others. But but specifically on that, you know, Jim Comer keeps saying you know, got uh, documented 30 million dollars in money that's flowed from the Chinese Communists to the Biden family. We don't know what they got for it. Well, you're sort of answering your own question, aren't you? So so what, what's your assessment of, of the progress being made there or or the direction that has taken? Uh, it's a good question. I think they've done a good job of letting the evidence speak for itself. You know, they're not just going on TV and popping off uh, and giving theories. So I think they did, they handled that in a very good way. Uh, disappointed, obviously, with Democrats. I mean, what Democrats are basically defending, let's just be clear here where this is headed. If what the Bidens did is okay, we're saying in the future that a president, a vice president, a secretary of defense can have their adult children collect tens of millions of dollars from our foreign adversaries for no discernible business purposes whatsoever. And we're okay with that because that's basically what the Bidens did. And I think the American people, in a way, are ahead of Washington, D.C. in this regard. I mean, I've watched the, looked at the, uh, the, the, the polls over the last couple of months, the New York Times, the Harvard-Harris poll, ABC News, the Wall Street Journal. They have all asked the question, do you believe that Joe Biden engaged in highly unethical behavior or illegal behavior in order to help his family's business dealings? And in every single one of those polls, at least 65 percent of the American people say yes. So the American people see what's going on. Um, I think the American people are ahead of it. I think that we've reached this binary point in American politics where you have elected Democrats. It doesn't matter what what Joe Biden does because of their dislike for Donald Trump. They are not going to um, uh, you know, criticize him for it. Um, And that's a sad case, because, again, one thing I've learned about studying corruption in Washington, 
if you allow something to happen to become normal, they're all going to do it. And they're all going to start taking large payments from foreign entities because of the Biden rule. The Bidens did it. They got away with it. So why can't I do it, too? How much of a governor on saying anything more pointed about the Chinese communists, the sort of things you're documenting, how much of a governor on that among Republicans has Mitch McConnell been? I mean, you documented in your book, Secret Empires, the, uh, you know, his wife's relationship to his wife's family and thus his relationship to this Chinese shipping uh, empire and the Chinese Communist Party. So, you know, are, are people even, you know, sort of uh, China hawks, anti-communist hawks, your Mike Lee's of the world, your Rand Paul's of the world, are they afraid to be as specific and as pointed as what you're describing? And, and yeah, be because they feel like, well, I don't want to create internal, uh, you know, internal fights within the party. Then it's just that's distracting or for some other reason. Yeah, no, I think Mitch McConnell is part of that. I think the other part of it is, look, you have very powerful, um, rich people who are major donors to the Republican Party who have deep pockets and have deep investments in TikTok. One of the biggest donors on the Republican side is a gentleman named Jeff Yass, lives in Pennsylvania. He, yeah. He's the biggest single donor to the Club for Growth, which is a sort of free market libertarian um, investment firm. Uh, he owns 17 percent of ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok. Uh, and some people think this is a trillion dollar company, meaning that he, his, his stake is one hundred and seventy billion dollars. Uh, and so because of that, frankly, the Club for Growth has taken a position that they don't think anything should be done to TikTok. Um, so it is it is a business decision, as it is, unfortunately, uh, financial donor pressure. I think Mitch McConnell certainly has laid out pressure. Um, and look, the fact of the matter is, I quote extensively from Chinese uh, military journals describing how they view TikTok as a Trojan horse and the specific ways in which they are trying to manipulate our young people. Um, and so the notion that, well, we should have a discussion about TikTok, are they good or are they bad? They're not debating that in China. They've already decided this is a great potent tools again use against us and they are using it uh, and in my view the only solution uh, trump proposed it in 2020 um it was reversed by joe biden the only solution that works is to force the sale of that um entity to an american company you cannot have the ccp controlling the company that is literally piping all of these images and all of these ideas to our young people what about our national security agencies are they compromised in a material way? I mean, what we've seen their performance over the last eight years, we've got a lot of the receipts, as they say, from Taibbi and Schellenberger and others. Uh, but but I mean, if they're focused on fifth column actions against Trump uh, and, um, uh, you know, and Catholics who attend the Latin mass in Virginia, in the case of the FBI, then then they can't be focused on these threats that or as focused on these threats that you're describing. So. I just wonder, um, you know, how you would describe the performance of of national law enforcement and intel agencies uh, in reaction to the threats that you document. Well, I've I've received a lot of feedback from people that have worked or, or are working at FBI, uh, ATF, Homeland Security, who see this every day. The problem is the political leadership that are running 
uh, these institutions um, are ultimately political actors. I mean, we want to we want to think that the director of the FBI is just a a, a great Joe Friday kind of guy. Um, but the fact of the matter is that he's appointed by a president and he's making political calculations. And Joe Biden and his administration have made it clear they do not want to single out China. Uh, they do not want to challenge them on any of these issues. So it's an enormous problem. You talk to those in the field that are seeing this, that are living it, that are experiencing it. The guys at DEA that tell me we know this is a Chinese operation, but the, the guys upstairs don't want to say it for political reasons is really the crux of the problem. And that's one of the reasons that I wrote this book, because you have to have this conversation and we need to you know, speak earnestly about what's going on, because it is literally killing people. And all the corruption I've written about before it was about you know political actors getting rich um, and taking actions. This is really a life and death issue, um, and it's costing us our best and brightest. Peter Schweitzer, president of the Government Accountability Institute. He's the New York Times bestselling author of a number of books, the most recent, as we've been discussing, Blood Money, Why the Powerful Turn a Blind Eye While China Kills Americans. The book Blood Money, available now. Pick it up. Peter Schweitzer, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, uh, getting re- your reactions to our uh, extended interview with uh, Peter Schweitzer, the author of the new book, Blood Money, and uh, some of the details he gave us about the Chinese Communist Party's disintegration strategy, Sun Tzu style, uh, for America, uh, for America's demise and, and their ascension as to be the unchallenged global superpower. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Uh, and, boy, I got a, just one more comment about Mitch McConnell. In uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, editorial, um, uh, you know, providing a, a bit of a eulogy for McConnell's time as Senate yes. majority, Senate, well, Senate Republican leader, majority and minority, what, uh, Mitch McConnell's years? great Senate legacy. I didn't see anything in there about uh, the reporting that Peter Schweitzer did in his book, Secret Empires, about the McConnell family, uh, or any contemplation of that question about whether McConnell is somewhat compromised on the top, may, and maybe more than somewhat, but at least somewhat compromised on the topic of America's national security versus his personal financial interests. Hmm. Uh, Ken in Geneva, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, guys. Great show. I just wanted to give a perspective. I think that Peter Schweitzer's been spot on throughout. Yep. Um, but what I, I personally think the issue is the politicians, not China. China's a distraction. It's either China, Russia, Ukraine. They always have a distraction. It's the criminals that are holding public office. And just to give you a specific example that's happening in Kane County, how they buy the system is they put money out, they finance through grants and other programs, and now 
it's hitting us locally at Kane County where they're outsourcing the voting and going with firms that are tied to the far left and they're protected by a corporate name so you can't find out who the people are and they're financing a $2 million grant to regionalize the voting mechanism and take the voting control out of Kane County. And then another one is the people who are doing Sanctuary City and Sanctuary County, which Kane County now is considering becoming a sanctuary county against federal immigration laws. So we have people in our own offices breaking the law and not being held accountable in any manner whatsoever. So whatever China and Russia do are inconsequential when our own politicians are criminals. That, that... Thanks for the call, Ken. Appreciate it. Uh, Jim in Lake Forest. Dan and Amy, great show. I just wanted to uh, comment regarding uh, your guest. Back in the late 90s, I read a book written by two high-ranking Chinese military officers. It was called Unrestricted Warfare. The premise was, next war is not going to be with guns and rockets and things. It's going to be economic. It's going to be uh, chemical. It's going to be germ warfare. And then look this morning in the Wall Street Journal opinion page, where did COVID come from? Well, mm -hmm. it's pointed right back towards China again. And so this is an all-encompassing philosophy that's been in place for, gee, what, close to 30 years now? So now we're seeing the results of it. Thanks for the call, Jim. Yeah, uh, he, that uh, Wall Street Journal piece was by Nicholas Wade, uh, the former science editor for The New York Times, who I recently interviewed for my uh, counterculture podcast at American Greatness and on all the podcast platforms you can get it there. It's worth checking out. I mean, there's a... Uh, there's a circumstantial case that, in my view, is well beyond reasonable doubt that's presented by Wade from some new uh, research that's been uh, made public that he documents that makes it clear that it was from the Wuhan Virology Lab. Now you have to go beyond to the next question in terms of, I mean, I think you have to ask this uh if if we can establish that it emanated from the Wuhan Virology Lab, which I think we can, then was it accidental or purposeful? And was there a and do we have sort of the next layer of defense for the story? First, it wasn't the Virology Lab, and of course we had American uh, public health professionals, Collins and Fauci, flacking for the Chinese, running interference for them. Well, also to the mainstream media. And, I mean, remember when Richard Engel well, did that whole piece of this is well, of course know, came from a bat in the wet market, and the first person who got COVID died. Blah blah blah. Well, of course, the media. Of course, the com shop for the yep. you know the the DC press corps, the government press corps, the com shop for all these people appointed or elected. Absolutely. But then, so so is that the next layer? Um, because the question has to be asked: Was it? You know, was it designed? And then they came up with they've, they've got a cover story about an accident and it leaked or um, or worse. Uh, so, you know, I mean, this the, the, the nice thing about Schweitzer is he speaks in unvarnished language with a lot of evidentiary support. From our own government, interestingly enough, right? How many times did he say in our conversation, according to the Department of Homeland Security, according to this from the Department of Homeland Security, and so on and so forth. So it's like we have all of this information through our national security and law enforcement agencies, and obviously there's congressional oversight, ostensibly, of these agencies. There's certainly briefings so people know, and so 
people have the information who are in positions of authority to do something with it, and they're not doing anything with it. That sort of prompts some questions about incompetence or maliciousness or some combination of the two, depending on the particular subject, doesn't it? Uh, Jim in Rockford, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. So it's a lot to digest. I guess where I go with this is we have such an indifferent society that's apolitical. Um, I mean, you just touched upon it with the Wuhan issue is that people are force fed information from their government, believe it without question. And so because this hasn't hit the radar like Peter talked, where our own politicians are complicit, many people in this society either don't care or they don't view it as a problem. And I don't know what it's going to take other than them losing loved ones. Well, right. I mean, thanks for the call, Jim. Well, I mean, that's why I think um, we started the conversation talking about fentanyl and his description of the drug traffic operation that Chinese communists have set up and with the Mexican cartels being their junior partners and the idea that this is purposeful. Um, I mean, for people to speak in the language that your son or daughter, your loved one was killed uh, by fentanyl. But this was a this is part of a design by the providers of the chemicals and the infrastructure to get these drugs into America and laced into, as as Schweitz was saying, uh, an Adderall pill or something like that. I got chills down my spine. Yeah. Taking a Xanax, Adderall, and it's laced with fentanyl. They don't even know they're taking it. You know, maybe that start that 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 starts to get people's attention. I I don't know. I'm I'm sort of perplexed on the topic as well. One of the other things, though, is you have to look at all of those corporate chieftains that were in San Francisco fawning over President oh, Xi. Sick. Uh, and clean up say, the streets for him and put out the Chinese flag. It was disgusting. And and ask yourself if. Uh, if we're on the path to proving Marx right, even after we proved him wrong about the Soviet Union and communism generally, are we on the path to proving him right that uh, uh, the last capitalist that we hang will be the one who sold us the rope? Grant in Rockford. Good morning, you guys. <clears throat> Excuse me. You could do a whole hour with Peter Schweitzer and still open eyes, but you stole my thunder, Dan. That's exactly what I was going to say. They're all bought and paid for by the Chinese, and um, they they have sold us the rope to which with which to hang ourselves. And I'm not the I'm not a huge Trumpist, but we need him. I mean, he's, I, I think I've said it to you before. He's our Batman. He's not who we want. He's who we need. I, I it, it's it's really a scary situation. So and 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 until. Until somebody's until some politician's son or daughter drops dead from fentanyl, I don't think they're going to care. And even if they did, they wouldn't. I don't think they would bat an eye. Have a good day, guys. Thanks for the call, Grant. Uh, yeah, what does it take? That's 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 always what it is. What does that's it a take? bedeviling question. It's what not, does it, it take for people to wake up at the border? What does it take for people to wake up about fentanyl? I mean, I, I again, I went to two fentanyl funerals, and it's just heartbreaking. And, and thank God in one of the cases, the guy who uh, bought the fentanyl was arrested. So that's good. I mean, you know, I mean, that's something at least to send the message, you know. But people aren't talking about it enough. People don't care. It's the number one leading killer for our children right now. Matt in Birmingham, Alabama. Hi, Dan and Amy. Yeah, I even work for a Chinese company. I can tell you the, the long game on this is to, to not – 
to win a war without ever having to raise a gun. If you study Chinese warfare, they're not real good at physical warfare. But what they're doing is that they're changing the minds of our kids and our youth through TikTok and then killing those that they can. They don't even have to raise a gun in order to win this war, and that is what they're doing. They're on the long game of the whole thing. Thanks for the call, Matt. Uh, Pete, Northwest Side. Hey, Danny. Thanks for taking my call. I don't know if you ever ran across the book Unrestricted Warfare. Uh, I, I have. It's actually Jim from Lake Forest just mentioned that, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm uh, sorry. I just, That's all right. Uh, That's all right. But, yeah, it, it laid out the plan back then how to take down a superpower. You know, it's, uh, the lack of intellectual curiosity by the mainstream media is astounding. But anyway, that's cool. Yeah, thanks for the call, Pete. Yes, yes, it is. Marvin, Burlington, Wisconsin. I, I'm uh, someone who survived COVID. I believe that it maybe was an accident. But I think the Chinese, once they figured out that this accident could be used to help advance their agenda, they purposely pushed it and let people get exposed to it and let it run rampant throughout the world because uh-huh. they realized that they got a bad deal on the, from their side of things when President Trump uh, was in, in office, and uh, they've used it ever since. And why would you uh, think otherwise when they're pumping fentanyl into this country that the government apparently knows? The human yeah. greed of American uh, politicians has no bounds. They don't care. I, I would like to know how much money is getting kicked back from the Ukraine war. I mean, they've got a president and a son who is, they've got him caught red-handed, and the news media doesn't uh, want to uh, discuss it or b- bring it out in the open. So I have, I have no doubt, no um, doubt that this is all planned. Thanks yeah. for the call, well, Marvin. Never, thought, n- never, never let a COVID virus go to waste. Right, well, and I've always thought that this was China's way of dumbing down our society by the COVID lockdowns. I thought that was the Chicago Teachers Union's job. Oh. <laughs> John and the Kennedy. Hey, Dan and Amy, love you, love your show. Thanks. Hey, uh, and, and I just got to say that, that uh, you know, the, you know, your show uh, truly is an answer. And I have to ask you if you have watched the Tucker Carlson interview with Mike Benz. Oh, yeah. And in fact, yeah, in fact, I, I we, we talked about it yeah. uh, the other week when it posted because I had interviewed Mike Benz at the end of last year on my counterculture podcast um, and covered a lot of the topics that uh, Tucker didn't, uh, that, that, that Tucker did and a few that he didn't. Um, and obviously there's been some things that have transpired since my interview. So no, that was, yeah. that, that Ben's is he's, he's on it and uh, he's been really instrumental in the reporting that, uh, that uh, Matt Taibbi and Mike Schellenberger have done as we've discussed. But um yeah, I mean, well, that, that's why I asked, the, really, and, and that's why I asked Schweitzer the question about how compromised he thinks our national security apparatus is because of uh, conversations and work of people like Ben's. But go ahead. Yeah, for for anybody that has not listened to that, if you really want to understand how you know how how the world works and 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 how everyone is is brainwashed, uh, you got to listen to that interview. It's a lot to. to take in and I, I tell people to break it up into a couple parts because you got to stop and think about it because uh, Mike Ben's almost talked continuously but the who what where how and most importantly why 
they set up the apparatus that are set up to control the mainstream and the social media are absolutely incredible. And all the facts, you know, are, are you know, are, are quite a history lesson about what's happened since 2016. And it, it explains the world we live in. And so for all your listeners, I really encourage people to seek it out and listen. It's hard, it's hard to digest, but to listen yeah. to that. Uh, Mike Ben's interview by Tucker Carlson. It's absolutely incredible, but it really explains the world today. Thank you. Thanks for the call, John. Well, you can uh, listen to the Mike Ben's interview by Tucker Carlson. That's the sort of one point. That's the 100-level class. And then you can uh, go to the 200-level class, and that's my interview of Mike Ben's, of course, um, graduate. That's for, you know, the graduate class. And because, uh, and you know, part of it uh, that Tucker didn't cover is what's coming next. Um, so the, the, this, the cyber, uh, there's, I should, I should, excuse me, the censorship industrial complex 2.0, what's coming next, because they know they're going to get rebuked by the Supreme court and that's really key too. So, uh, listen to it all, uh, Dan in Ukrainian village. Hey, how's it going guys? Good. Listen to all your calls this morning. I just get real disappointed because it seems like all the empathy's left, you know, everybody's pointing the finger here and you know i'm obviously a hypocrite for doing it too but when you're china's important fentanyl i mean the reason they're a superpower is because all of us you know stop buying american made and go to the dollar store and dollar general and buy the cheapest thing possible and buy the cheapest thing on amazon from these random four-letter word brands and gave them all of our money from trade you know it's not like this is happening in a bubble so i just think we got to like Think about what we can do rather than like, oh, Trump's Batman. For what? Nobody's na- named me one thing concrete that he can do. Just like, you know, I'm here saying that we need to do these things. That's that's my thought. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Dan. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.